Welcome to the Fort Bragg PWOC podcast. Today, I have a very dear uh, friend and special lady, Miss Cindy Pio. This year, she is our prayer coordinator for PWOC. She has been part of PWOC for 28 years. She currently attends Main Post Chapel. She is a fantastic gardener. Truly, her garden looks like it it should be in the Garden of Eden. She has three kids and two adorable grandkids. Join us as she shares today. Hello, everyone. My name is Cindy Pio. I'm the prayer coordinator for PWC this year. And I just wanted to share some thoughts that God gave me about this coronavirus and our response to it. As we reel from the coronavirus, with all its cascading side effects, we see desperate and horrifying fallout all around us. Testimonies of those fighting the virus are heart-wrenching and scary. We wonder if we will get it, or our parents, or our children, or our friends with medical weaknesses. Medical staff describe overwhelmed healthcare systems lacking basics of enough masks, gowns, gloves, respirators, medications, and hospital space. Parents scramble to figure out how to homeschool for the first time. We wonder if we'll be able to keep getting food and essentials like toilet paper. Kids miss their senior graduations. Young adults have to delay marriage. People cannot even attend a loved one's funeral. People who cannot bring home a paycheck because their workplaces are closed wonder how they will pay bills. Small business owners wonder if they'll lose everything. Those with stocks take a big gulp as they see their investments plummet. As the government scrambles to help passing multi-trillion dollar aid packages, we wonder how our country will recover economically. Our first reaction is to pray, God, please save us. Please stop the virus. Please keep us from collapsing economically. Please help our hospitals not to be overwhelmed. Please help us find a cure. This is good and natural and right to pray, and I do pray this every day. But scripture and history give a precedent that God may be after much bigger goals than we have at this moment. When Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem, everyone watching, including his disciples, thought God was finally answering their prayers. For centuries, their country had been trampled on by the Roman Empire. Tax collectors extorted them. Religious expression was only tolerated as long as there was no implied criticism of the Roman Caesar. Punishment was often excessive and cruel, including crucifixion, the most painful, torturous means of death ever devised. No, by the way, Jesus was not the first person crucified. The Jewish leadership that, allowed, that, was, that was allowed were mere puppets kowtowing to Rome's wishes. How every Jew longed for political freedom. Old Testament, excuse me, Old Testament prophecy was full of promises of a coming king who would bring in a new kingdom that would never again be trampled on. Daniel had prophesied, then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. Daniel 7, 27. Nahum predicted, look, there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. Zechariah also prophesied hope of a new victorious kingdom. God said through him, but I will encamp at my temple to guard it against marauding forces. 
Never again will an oppressor overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, victorious and righteous, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah 9, 89. In Deuteronomy 18, 15, Moses promised, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. So when Jesus came doing miracles like Moses, he got everyone's attention. And when he rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, in the same manner previous Israelite kings had come to be crowned, the crowd went wild, shouting, Hosanna, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven, Matthew 21, 19. Now, you may not know this, but Hosanna does not mean hallelujah or praise God. It actually means, Lord, save us. These people were crying out to God to save them, just as we today are crying out to God to save us. But God had bigger goals then, and he still does right now. The people's goal was instant deliverance from political oppression. Instead, their would-be king, Jesus, was unjustly and violently killed by the very same political oppressors. Everyone who had hoped Jesus would save them was stunned, including the disciples who followed him most closely. But God wasn't surprised at all. After Jesus came back to life, he explained his bigger goals. He came to give eternal life, saving people, yes, but saving them from themselves, from their sins. He came to save us from the thing that causes eternal death and separation between us and God. He came to save us from our sins. The disciples finally understood, at least a little. Jesus then told them to wait in Jerusalem for the gift of the Holy Spirit. But they still stayed focused on current pressing needs. So in Acts 1-6, they said, they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still saw meeting their current needs in this world as the highest priority. In Acts 7 and 8, Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God's bigger goal was for the whole world to know how to be saved for eternity. So how does all this relate to our current crisis? What bigger goals might God be accomplishing through this terrible, fearful time? I believe just as when Jesus was on earth, God is still after eternal goals. I believe two goals he intends to accomplish during this time of crisis are first, he wants the salvation of as many as will believe in Jesus. And second, he wants the preparation, purification, and growth of each believer. God desires all to be saved eternally. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Jeremiah expressed God's heart in this prophecy. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Jeremiah 31, 34. Crisis brings us up short. America today is not anything close to the godly nation that pilgrims dreamed of forming. The Christian God is routinely shunned from any public venue and carefully screened out of our public school curriculum. 
while other religions seem to get special emphasis and favor. Our entertainment is filled with every sort of sinful indulgence, violence, with laughter at prudes who would dare to question it. Sexual sin permeates our country, from overwhelming use of pornography, to almost universal sex before and outside of marriage, to unnatural sex of many sorts, to sexual trafficking of young helpless children. Children in our school sex ed are being taught ungodly sexual behavior before they even know what normal looks like. Truth is trampled. Racism continues. Violence and murder dominate. Untold millions of babies' lives are ended before they ever see the light of day. Old people and disabled people's value is diminished through euthanasia. Greed and a me-first mentality prevail. The average lifespan in America today is actually decreasing for the first time in history. Why? Suicide is an all-time high among our young people. Our nation is eaten up with sin that is destroying us from the inside out. We are all infected with a deadly disease, and it's called sin. But crisis brings us up short. Our prideful assertion that we are in control and can do whatever we want without consequence is challenged by economic collapse, a deadly virus, shut down schools and businesses, overwhelmed healthcare systems. Could it be that God is willing to use this situation for a higher purpose, to humble our hearts and turn us back to him in humility and repentance? The Bible says that after Jesus returned to heaven, he promised to come back someday to establish his eternal kingdom. The book of Revelation describes the end times on earth. In Matthew 24, 4 through 14, Jesus explained that before the end times, trouble on earth would in keep increasing in frequency and intensity. He said in verse 8, all these are the beginning of birth pains. He also said that his followers would be persecuted, but would spread the gospel of salvation to all the world before the world as we know it ends. Birth pains start gradually and at low intensity. As bad as the current crisis is, it is much less than what the book of Revelation describes as the final judgment period of God on earth. Could it be that God wants to get our attention now to soften and humble our hearts, to turn us to repentance so we are prepared and escape his final judgment of sin on earth? Could it be he loves us too much to give us up without a fight? As we read Revelation, we see these birth pains culminating in the final judgment of God against those people who steadfastly reject him. A series of increasingly severe judgments will be performed on the earth. In the first series, one-fourth of mankind will die from war, famine, plague, and wild beasts, according to Revelation 6.8. Later, another third of mankind will die in similar disasters and monumental natural disasters, which are even more severe. In the process, God will raise up two special prophets who are seen by the whole world to call people to repentance. But according to Revelations 9, 20, and 21, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. It is amazing that God prophesied over 2,000 years ago, these two prophets would be seen by the whole world. That was impossible back then. But he knew the internet would be invented. Today, this is a completely feasible possibility. In response to the global crisis, the nations will unite under one world leader, called by the Bible, the Antichrist, in 1 John 4, 3, 
and the beast in Revelation 13. They will cry out, save us, and he will promise to save them. He will require absolute allegiance. Everyone must get an identification mark registered to the government and cannot buy without having one, according to Revelations 13, 16, and 17. This ID is actually somehow on each person's right hand or forehead. In one of the plagues, everyone with this mark suffers intense pain, according to Revelation 16, too. Could it be a result of an implanted ID that turns out to be radioactive or in some other way harmful to the body? Ultimately, the Antichrist sets himself up as God himself to be worshipped by all mankind. He gathers the armies of the world to fight against God at Armageddon. And in a final act of judgment, God throws the beast into the lake of fire and kills all those who follow him into battle. Revelation 9, 11 through 21, excuse me, 19, 11 through 21. At this point of final judgment, most people on earth will already have such hard hearts that nothing will turn them back to God. Thank God we are not yet at that point, but we are headed that way. In this time of crisis, we must pray for God to guide us in sharing the message of repentance and salvation with our frightened neighbors, friends, and family. This may be the time God will use to bring them into his eternal kingdom and his eternal purpose for their lives while their hearts are humbled and soft enough still to turn. The second bigger goal I believe God intends to accomplish through this crisis is to prepare, purify, and strengthen us, believers in Jesus. As soon as churches were shut down a few weeks ago, an explosion of virtual services was created. We still hope that soon we can be back together in person. But someday, persecution here will be similar to that of other countries already oppressed, such as China, where most believers must meet together in secret in small groups. Are we Christians in America ready for that? Perhaps this is a time God is beginning to prepare us for the future, toughening us up little by little. He is also purifying us. First Peter 1, 6 and 7 explains, Now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. As we feel fear and anxiety, it forces us to turn back and rely solely on God for our help. As we see our finances, our health, our country threatened, we learn to depend on God alone. Hebrews 12, 26 to 29 remind us, at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So should we pray that the coronavirus be destroyed, that a cure is found, that our country will not collapse? Absolutely. But let us also pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray that God uses this time to turn Pico to himself. Let us pray that people recognize we are not invincible and we are not God. Let us pray that people cry out to God and discover what a powerful, kind, loving, but holy God he is. Let us pray for national and worldwide revival. And let us pray that God will do a work in each believer and in the church as a whole to refine us, unite us, 
prepare us and purify us as a bride for himself. Thank you. Hi, thank you for listening to Protestant Women of the Chapel, Fort Bragg. We are workers together for Christ. If you've been inspired, please share our podcast with those who could use a good word.